0: Wonders of uh, global internet. Here I am sitting here in my office in my home in the Southern Highlands, two hours out of Sydney in uh, Australia. Tomorrow it is in Friday. just gone with um, down here in the Southern Highlands in Australia on the east coast, and. Um, are joining me on the dental water cooler episode, uh, episode five for the ultimate patient experience, talking about is saving money actually losing? My name is Dr. David Moff, dentist. I was a dentist, practiced dentistry for 35 years, sold my practice uh, in 2007 and um, After being there for 20 years, worked on for another seven years for the new owners, had some uh, surgery on my shoulder, and then retired for another two and a bit years for a friend of mine, and uh, I've been retired uh, from wet fingered dentistry for 18 months now, and uh, just spend my time consulting and coaching dentists on how to build a successful dental practice, Uh, one like I did. And uh, the reason I built was able to build a successful dental practice was that I, uh, uh, I guess I I looked around when uh, other people were uh, doing one thing, I tended to do the opposite, and uh, I tended to look for opportunities and uh, the path that everybody else was because. The fact of the matter is that uh, 95% of uh, dentists, when they reach the 65, will either be uh, broke uh, or dead, or dead broke, and still need to keep working. Um, That statistic came to me from Omar Reed. He told me, David, that 95% of dentists, when they get to the age of 65, they still have to keep drilling teeth because they can't afford to that's not a very uh, good way to end up after a, a very successful career you uh, know in, in a very lucrative profession uh, the dental profession is um, a very lucrative one to be in and um, if you uh, you use your skills correctly uh, and um, for the forces of good um, you'll build yourself a, a good reputation in this industry and you'll build yourself a very successful dental practice. So um, today's topic is using new money. And this uh, question, I raise this question because um, sometimes a lot of dentists spend a lot of time trying to save money on things when uh, the easiest way of making money is to actually just go and make money, do more stuff and cutting costs can actually cut corners that uh, hold you back. Um, the, the classic example is, um, you know, spending time trying to cut your overhead on uh, consumables and materials. You know, can we use uh, less tissues? Can we use less paper towel? Can we um, use less Smaller bibs, more more inferior quality bibs. Can we save money on bibs? And you might save you five or ten thousand dollars. Let's say you save yourself ten thousand dollars in a year on consumables. Well, well done. But could you have just made an extra ten thousand um, dollars in collections that would have covered all the time that you wasted trying to save pennies? You know, you, you sometimes people, um, are stepping over pounds to try and pick up pennies, and it's can be a bit ridiculous. So, uh, there's ten thousand dollars a year, a saving that's nice, you know, that'll pay for um, a ski holiday, um, country club men, but um, yeah, ten thousand dollars that's less, yeah, what is it, eight hundred and a month of the month, let's call it $200, $200 a week. Working four days a week, $50 a day, increase your billables and your collections by $50 a day. Well, the answer is difficult. Um, Take another radiograph or two, um, In the old days, it would have been. And those sort of things are um, easy to add to what you do. Sometimes you look at a a tooth and you say, oh, well, watch that. Well, watching. You're watching the, the get bigger. You're watching the patient walk out your door without getting the work completed and not coming back, moving out. And you know it might just be you know a, a class five uh, cavity that uh, you could be sealing, or cavity that you could have done. Um, might be a shadow on an X-ray that you're going to watch for another um, six months. Remember that the people that you've the decay and defects on, Remember, those people, the, you're watching pathology there and the things that have caused that pathology are still there when the person leaves your, your office. You know, the habits, failure to brush, soft drinks, sugar drinks, you call them those things, the chocolate consumption, the uh, sweet consumption. Those things are still in play and yet we're expecting that what caused it, what got it to there, not to take it further along with all those things still in play. It's like um, people who are, and are overweight. Whatever caused them to become overweight is still in play. They have to stop the habits that are causing them to be overweight so that they can lose weight. But just saying that they want to lose weight and then still failing to exercise, failing to reduce what they're eating, failing to reduce um, the amount that they're eating is working against them. Uh, in Western societies, Australia included, um, more and more people are now shifting from normal weight and overweight to obesity. So our role, a role as a dentist, was always about removing decay, as opposed to watching decay on an X-ray. There was significant decay there, so once I saw it on the X-ray, time to remove it. But that was my philosophy in treatment. In terms of money, um, the lessons that I want you to learn, you know, is saving money actually lose money. I like telling this story in 1998. After being in my practice for 11 years, and there was a dental practice in the rooms next door to mine, I was leaving at, on this Monday to go and meet with my coach um, f- for a uh, three-hour one-on-one coaching session with my coach. And um, as I left my uh, dental office and, and walked to the lift, I encountered coming out of the lift elevator um, the dentist. Uh, in the rooms next door to me, an older gentleman, Sydney newspaper, dental notices section on Saturday. He said, as a matter of fact, it is. And and I went off to the meeting with my coach and I said, my dentist next door is uh, retiring, selling his practice. And these were the words from very, very sound words. And they said, he said, whatever he wants, give it to him. Don't haggle with him. Just... Take it, pay it, because by a practice from a retiring dentist and acquiring those patients, you'll make the money back in spades. And indeed, what happened, the practice was purchased for $130,000 back then in 1998. The dentist came to work with me. We closed his rooms. In the next 10 years that he's following the, through to 2008, uh more than a million dollars worth of dentistry came from the patients that I bought that practice off for a hundred and thirty thousand dollars so do you think if I'd have haggled for ten thousand dollars and missed the sale because somebody else would have come in opportunity becoming the dental uh those people and you know I stayed on in that practice um, through till two thousand and and even though I left that person then and went to work for my friend, a lot of those patients from the practice that I had acquired and joined my followed me uh, when I went to work with friend. So um, haggling over the price uh, was going to be a bad idea. Trying to save myself a little bit of a sale may have seen the sale disappear. Would not have been a very good idea. Sometimes once you acquire an asset, the asset, if it is an income generating asset, um, will make you a heck of a lot more. Yeah, you know, if you're acquiring an oil well, better to acquire the oil well than miss out on buying the oil well. And uh, that's what happened. And it's interesting because reflecting back to when I purchased my practice in 1987 for the sale price of $80,000. Practice that I bought was collecting $120,000 a year in 1987. And I uh, was informed about this practice by a, uh, a sales agent, somebody selling practices. So this sales agent was going to get a commission from us and uh, interestingly. There was another dentist who I knew who the owner of the practice, the practice I ended up buying, and they had uh, met via an advertisement. Uh, I'm not sure who placed the advertisement, whether it was the uh, I knew or the dentist selling the practice, but they had met. So they were actually negotiating between themselves without an agent. And uh, the dentist I knew was trying to knock the price down to 75000 Now, if you think that the... There was an agent commission out of the eighty thousand that was probably worth about four thousand dollars. The dentist ended up selling to me for only one thousand dollars more in um in his pocket, one thousand out of seventy five, seventy-six, you wouldn't think that's much at all. But um I think what the selling dentist liked was the fact that I agreed on the price, and then everything else was um, uh, pretty well systematic in terms of the sale. Um, my finance was delayed a couple of days, which uh, meant that he had to work on another week. Uh, we had tried to get the sale before Christmas, but it ended up going on for another week. But um, it was a very, it was. Smooth sale. Again, had I haggled over the price, I could have lost out because I would have been just like the other guy. And if you think that that practice that was then collecting $120,000 in 1987, 1986 when I bought it, eighty seven, one $120,000, that practice in 2007 was doing over $2.4 million and 2011, $3.3 so, 1987 to 2011, 24 years, went from 120,000 to 3.4 million. And that, you think of that dentist who haggled over one or $2,000. He probably did. Third example, which I, I, I like to share, is again the same thing with your. Laboratory costs, you know, your, the cost of getting your crown and bridge dentures made. Say you're paying $150 a crown to your dental technician. What a crown. So you're you know, begrudgingly writing a check at the end of the month for, you know, all the lots of 101 crowns. And you think, you know, this guy's making a lot of money out of me and you ask him whether maybe he can, you know, because you're sending him so much work, can he cut you a better rate? What I'm to do is you're trying to get him to discount but yet still give you the same service. And that doesn't normally work well because the point is that if you then he's going to be looking at doing more work for the people who are paying him the higher price because their work is worth more to him per than you who have negotiated the discount price. And if you begrudge paying him that extra 10 or $20 that you're trying to knock him down, why not just put your own price up 10 or $20 to cover it? So then in effect, you're, what you're trying to negotiate from your supplier, you've negotiated successfully from your customer now it's an interesting thing to think about because people say oh but you know my, my customers are very price sensitive well let me tell you this story that a good friend of mine told me um he told me this story in 2010 about his practice um in a suburb in cleveland ohio where his staff had come to him and we're having trouble selling crowns at 600 dollars each and we think your crowns are too expensive, and we think you should drop the price down to $400 each. So he said, all right, well, let's try that. So for three months, he did crowns at $400 each instead of $600 each. And um, at the end of the three months, he looked at his numbers, and guess how many crowns he did at $400 than he had been doing for the same period of time at $600. Guess what sort of difference it made? Well, it made no difference. It made no difference. He still did the exact same numbers. So all he did was he gave $200 courtesy to people who statistically were happy to be paying $600 for the work that he was doing. He did no more. It created no more urgency, no more acceptance. And so your thought would have to be that doing good work and your patients are deserving of good work, then you need to charge accordingly. And that story is very interesting because I remember in 1998 when I had a dental receptionist uh, who worked for me, And she said to me, she said, David, you know, your patients are complaining that your fees are too high. And I thought, well, this is really interesting. In 1998, I was complaining that my fees are too high because I hadn't put my fees up for two years. And inflation was running at 10% in those days. I thought, well, what do I do? Telling me that my patients are complaining that my fees are too high, yet I haven't given myself a pay increase in two years 10 percent each year at that time so therefore I'm actually 20 percent behind than I was two years ago. and so what I decided to do was to give them something to complain about. you actually go and my fees up 10 percent. And guess what happened? Guess how many people complained that my too high after I put them up 10% when I was told that people were already saying they were too high. Nobody complained that I'd just give a 10% increase in my prices. Nobody. So the illusion of my fees being too high was actually a result of somebody in office having limiting beliefs as opposed to being in actual reality. And on close what we found was that this person had such difficulty with the fees that we were charging that she was letting people go without paying and our livables. I was telling the story about my friend who had a practice in suburban Cleveland, Ohio, and his staff came to him and said difficulty uh, getting patients. To accept treatment plans with crowns for six hundred dollars, and that he needed to drop the fee for the crowns to hundred dollars. And so my friend said, "All right." He took this advice, and uh, he thought, uh, "Well, he would he would do that." So he uh, treated people and did crowns at four hundred dollars. And at the end of that three months, he analyzed the number of crowns that he did in three month period. Uh, compared it three months for the same time the previous year and compared it to the previous three months before that. What he found was that uh, the number of crowns he did when he dropped the price down to $400 was exactly the same as the number of crowns that he had done in the previous three months when the crowns were 600 and also in the same three months of the previous year when crowns were $600. And so what this showed to him was that it wasn't, in fact, the price of his crowns that was stopping people from coming in. It was actually the, the mindset of the people working in his dental practice uh, that they believed that the price of the crowns was too high. So... There's a few examples there of what to focus on, what you actually want from your dental practice. He's to believe those little voices not be the best advice. So don't be of the thought that your prices are too high or that you need to be trying to save money because sometimes the process of saving money actually can be detrimental to you in terms of really growing your business and growing it to the next level. So that brings today's um, water cooler meeting to a close. I'd like to thank all those who have been on this Water cooler. Look forward to um, talking with you again next uh, month. Same time, it will be on the uh, Tuesday, the 12th of March at 8 p.m. Eastern Time, 8 p.m. Eastern Time, Tuesday, the 12th of March. So, thank you very much for having me. I'm Dr. David Moffat. If if you've got any questions at all, please contact me via email, david at the, com. and happy to uh, answer any questions you have. Uh, look forward to talking with you again on the water cooler at um, next month's